Have you ever tried to reverse engineer your life? As I was preparing this week, uh, I was remembering this conversation I had with my stepdad when I was about 14. And I was saying goodnight to my parents, and I was like, wait, how did you get here? And he, he said, what do you mean? And I was just thinking about his life. He was born in Alabama and grew up in Washington, D.C., and taught himself how to play the piano and toured with this gospel music group and wound up working in North Carolina and met my mom, and now we're in Florida. And I was like, how did you get here? Did you, like, did you plan for all those little things to happen? And he was like, no, like it just kind of happened. I followed God and one thing led to the next. And now I'm about his age that I was asking him uh, those questions. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm, I get to be a part of this amazing church in Rancho Cucamonga, California. But if you just drew a straight line back to different points in my life, it wouldn't make sense. Uh, pastor in California to film student in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or pastor in California to uh, a teacher's assistant at a middle school in Japan. Like It doesn't make sense. Um, and uh, so much of my life, as I've, I've been doing this exercise, I've been realizing that, that God's been pushing me in my journey uh, towards a growth mindset, towards being curious and adventurous, and ultimately towards trusting God more. And the starting point for me is anxious, wondering when the next thing is going to happen. God wants to move me from an anxious mindset to a mindset of trust and rest and 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 turning over the 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 uh, the results of my life. But so much of the time was wondering, God, when am I going to graduate? What is my job going to be? When am I going to get married? When are we going to have kids? It's always just seemed to be like the next thing is out there. And when I get into that space, anxiety grows in me. And I, I wind up trying to control the circumstances in my life. And for those of us in our culture, oh my goodness, for the, for the past 20 years, those of us uh, who, who are, especially in the West, have been drinking from a fountain of anxiety for decades now. And push the pandemic, that's included. But I remember, do you remember Y2K? Any of you, some of you may have some food left over from Y2K. And then not, not long after that was September 11th. And then the wars in the Middle East and, and the, the political dumpster fire that's just gone on and on. And it's been building and building. And now it's contagious. And it's like we've been drinking from the fountain of anxiety. And now we're like pouring out heaping portions for other people. And the question is, like in a world like ours where bad stuff happens all the time, how in the world do we just put one foot in front of the other? I heard a story about a businessman who things were going great, had, the, had everything, is the dream, the, the great business, it was flourishing, the family, a great marriage, great kids. And out of the blue, the business just goes under. Couldn't explain it, didn't know what was going on, loses the business. Has like, okay, what's going to happen now? Then his wife gets sick. And, and it progresses quickly, and she passes away, and his kids get sick, and they pass away. And he's lost his business, 
He's lost his family. He's grieving. He doesn't know where, where the resources are going to come from. And then it gets worse. He gets sick. And he gets so sick to where he's like on teetering on the edge of death. And he's got these friends that are realizing like, whoa, this may be like better if you die. Like maybe you should just, uh, just take your own life and, and just, just die. He was in a dark, dark place. His, his story reminds me a lot of, of the last uh, of the, the patriarchs that are mentioned in the book of Genesis, Joseph. He's the last in the line that we see in this book from Abraham's family. And uh, the last 23 chapters of Genesis are about Joseph's journey. And I want to refresh you, if, if it's been a while, on his story. Uh, I, if you're a nerd like me, uh, you may have images of Donny Osmond and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in your mind right now. So I just wanted to mention that and put that elephant in the room and, and talk about it. And we can put it aside. But uh, Joseph uh, was the very definition of a golden boy. He was his dad's favorite. He was Jacob's favorite son. And that's kind of the theme in, in Joseph's family with his, uh, the people that came before him. Everybody had a favorite, and Joseph was the favorite. He had other brothers, but his dad gave him a coat. I'm pretty sure it was Technicolor. He gave him this coat that, that specifies, like that Jacob said, Joseph is my favorite boy, and none of the other brothers got the coat. And if you have siblings, you know this probably didn't turn out well for Joseph. Uh, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 4, it talks about this uh, the effects of this favoritism. It says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. The dynamic in his family was not a good start. You were singled out as the favorite, you get all the good stuff, and now your brothers won't even talk to him. It's a good thing we're all past this, uh, this whole Genesis stuff. These people lived uh, 2,000, 4,000 years ago. Like We would never get to the point where we couldn't speak a kind word to our siblings. Good thing we're all past that, right? Well, as, as his story continues, we also find out that Joseph has a gift from God to have these dreams and to interpret dreams. And he has these dreams of his family bowing down to him in different forms of sheaves of wheat and stars and where his brothers are bowing down to him and even his parents. And in Joseph's young adolescent maturity, he tells everybody about his dream. Hey, imagine that dinner table. Hey, I had a dream that one day all of you are going to serve me and I'll be better than you. Didn't work out. Didn't work out very well. Uh, causes a lot more conflict in his family. And one day... While Joseph's older brothers are out taking care of their herds, uh, his father sends them out, says, go check on your brothers. And it takes Joseph a while to find his brothers, has to go to different places. And while he's uh, coming up to his brothers, his brothers hatch plan A. Plan A is, there, there's the favorite, there's that little punk, let's kill him. Let, let's absolutely kill him. And someone speaks up and says, no, let's not kill him, maybe... Maybe we could sell him into slavery. <laughs> what? <laughs> Especially from a, 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 a lens of 2022. Like things had really, really disintegrated. And plan A is kill him. Plan B is sell our little brother into slavery. 
uh, Genesis 37, 27 says, after all, he is our brother. (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah, let's show some mercy. I mean, can't kill him. After all, he's our brother. So they, they capture Joseph, they throw him in a pit, they take off that coat, soak it in blood, little alibi uh, to say, like, to bring back to their dad and say, your favorite son's dead. And they sell him to some traders and Joseph is taken down to Egypt. Things don't look good for Joseph. He's sold into slavery at, at this uh, uh, official's house named Potiphar. And we see God is with Joseph. He, he begins to rise in favor with his, his master and is, is put in charge of the household. Uh, he's, he's, we see he's gifted. We see he's a man of integrity. And then he also catches the eye of his master's wife. And, and she tries to proposition Joseph in a very uh, uh, explicit scene. Like she wants Joseph and he continually says, no, no, to the point of running away. And this guy keeps getting in trouble with clothes. <laughs> I don't know of any other character in movies or in scripture that has more trouble with clothing because as he's running away from Potiphar's wife, she grabs his cloak and then she uses that to, to flip the story and goes to her husband and say, Joseph tried to force himself on me and I fought him and, and I, I look, here's, here's a piece of his coat. So we don't know for sure, but we can... Uh, exactly what that conversation looked like between Potiphar and his servant Joseph. But we do know in ancient times, if this kind of thing happened for a slave and and the value put on a slave's life, that it would be nothing for, um, for, for a slave to be killed for such an offense. But we do see that Joseph is sent to prison instead. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. Maybe Potiphar knew that Joseph was a man of integrity, but the text doesn't tell us. But now Joseph finds himself in prison. So he didn't do anything wrong and was sold into slavery. He didn't do anything wrong and now he's in prison and he's waiting on his fate to be decided. And while he's in prison, he meets a cupbearer and a baker and they have dreams and Joseph interprets their dreams for them and the interpretation was right. And the cupbearer was restored to his position, uh, protecting Pharaoh and and making sure all the food wasn't poisoned. And the cupbearer had promised Joseph, when I get out of here, just like you you said I would, I'm going to remember you. And he gets out and forgets Joseph. So Joseph is, is betrayed by his family. Joseph is lied about. Joseph is in prison and now he's forgot about. And, and time goes by, time of waiting and wondering and examining his life. Like, what, God, how in the world did I get here? And then the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, starts having these dreams. And, uh, and uh, he starts, he's troubled by them. So he sends for his advisors and asks, like, I'm having these dreams. What do they mean? And none of his sorcerers or advisors can tell him what they mean. And as the cupbearer is overhearing this conversation, the light bulb goes on. It says, Pharaoh, I met a Hebrew in prison and he interpreted my dream and it came true. Send for him. And Joseph uh, came and rightly interpreted Pharaoh's dream, said that there'll be seven years of plenty, then they'll be followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph finds favor with Pharaoh 
and he's put in charge of of collecting food and 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 uh, and all and, and how everything would be organized so that Egypt would have reserves to withstand the famine that was coming. And he kept finding favor to the point where he was put in charge of all of Egypt. The only person Joseph reported to was Pharaoh, the, the king of the most powerful empire on earth at the time. Talk about not being able to to draw a line backwards in Joseph's journey and it making sense. So he's probably like the second most powerful person on the planet, but he started out <laughs> as basically a wanderer with his family in tents and enslaved and imprisoned. It didn't make sense. And as his story continues, uh, we, we find Joseph in, in Egypt and, and his family the whole region is in a famine, and and uh, and people are coming to Egypt because they hear that they have extras, and and Joseph is in charge of of putting out uh, food and 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 handing out rations to people, and one day Joseph's older brothers show up needing food. Years have passed. Joseph has grown up now. He's dressed in his Egyptian garb, his, his royal uniform. And he sees his brothers walk up. Oh, for siblings. If you have brothers or sisters, you're sitting on the edge of your seat right now going, these guys are going to get it. Something deep down inside of us as people understands, like this is the moment, the ultimate revenge opportunity. Every, everybody's had this moment uh, at some point in their lives. And Joseph's response just blows us away. In Genesis 45, verse 3 through 8, it says this, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then... It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. This moment where Joseph could have really given it to his old brother, older brothers. And to be fair, he did mess with them a little bit before they have this great reveal that the person who was about to save them was the very person that these brothers had betrayed. But we see in his response this amazing counterintuitive energy coming from Joseph saying, hey, no, I forgive you, basically. And how in the world does Joseph get to this point? How in the world do his brothers get to this point? None of this makes sense. Things, Joseph was supposed to go away and, and live in obscurity as a slave, but somehow God kept preserving him and preserving him in a, in, a, in a way that was like this massive judo move, using all of the negative energy that, that was happening in Joseph's life 
to flip it on its head and, and now it's saving the whole region and the very people that had wronged Joseph. So the text tells us how Joseph sees his story. And Joseph's understanding of the story, it determined his response. You see, as Joseph had to have spent time wrestling with God, remembering the stories of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, had to do some inner work and come to a point where he believed that God was leveraging his personal catastrophes, plural, God was leveraging these things for a divine good. That somehow, with a MacGyver-like creativity, God took the broken components of Joseph's life and repurposed them for good. The Apostle Paul picks up on this story and on this language in Romans, where it says, God is working all things together for the good for those that love him. And at one level, we get this uh, when we read it in the text and we say, yes, yes, yes. But when we come down from that 50,000 foot level into like our day-to-day grind of our lives, this breaks our minds. It blows our minds because we often behave like we have to figure all of this out on our own. We, we ask like, okay, when will this pain end? We ask, how in the world is this going to work out? And our minds shift into overtime of how we are going to solve the problem. And then when we, when we do remember to go to God, it's like, when will this get better? This is not going to my plan. This is not going toward, uh, according to my agenda, God. Can you hurry up? Where are you? When are you? We turn into these little reporters. When, where, why, how? But when we say God meant it for good and we're reminding ourselves of this, the big thing to remember is that God is good. That's the, 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 the place where we can drill down. We need to pull on that thread. What, no matter what you're going through today, what external circumstances you're going through, when your mind naturally goes to, how do I solve this? What's the solution? The counterintuitive way, the ancient pathway is to go, okay, I've got to remember that God is God and I'm not. That's the first step. And to remember that this God that we serve is good. So this is me speaking and not God. My take on this is that to get to this point, Joseph has done some significant pre-gaming work in the area of forgiveness to get to this moment. He's already in so many ways forgiven his brothers. And uh, his journey with God has, has led him to see like all of these circumstances that were outside of Joseph's control. He didn't control how he, who he was first sold into slavery with. He didn't control when he went to prison or when he got out and had to see that God was, was piecing all of, putting all the dominoes in place uh, so that God's mission would continue. And he gets to the point where he even hides his brother. He, did, he, he could have made it public, his, his, uh, his, um, his betrayal. Could have told everybody, and he could have told everybody under the guise of, oh, look, look, this is wonderful. We're we're reconciled. But he had forgiven his brothers to the point where it was just between them. And when we say, and when we read that God is working all things together for good, I've got to say, I don't believe that in general God causes bad stuff to happen to people. Like God didn't prompt Joseph's 
brothers to sell him into slavery. And I don't believe it is our job to tell people why bad stuff happens to them. If you've been around funerals, uh, if if you've had that uh, uh, unfortunate, uh, it's a part of life and it's just a part of life that stinks. And you'll often hear people say some really insensitive things and well-meaning things. Like, oh, God needed another angel or it happened because of this. And uh, one of the quickest ways to get punched is to quote this verse at a funeral. Oh, all things work together for good. Ouch. Um, when pe- so when people are hurting, they don't need to hear why. They don't need to hear you explain to them why bad stuff is happening to them. What they need to hear is, I'm sorry, I'm with you, period, full stop. And, and then open your ears and listen. I love the ancient Jewish custom of sitting Shiva with somebody where, where nobody talks. <laughs> and they're just there in the presence. Because when bad stuff happens, like I believe our posture needs to reflect God's posture. And we see that in Jesus' reaction when he's at the tomb of Lazarus. We see him weeping. And when either we're going through difficult times and we've had our life wiped out like Joseph or like the businessman that we've talked about at the beginning who lost everything, like we need to remember that two things are true at the same time. That when bad stuff is happening in this world and to, our, to us, that God is grieving with human suffering. And at the same time, God is working to heal and redeem and rebuild and restore all of creation. That's the work that we do. That's the place that we focus on to anchor ourselves. And that's what gets us through anxious times, situations like we're in today, uh, regional and global crisis to trust and remind ourselves over and over again that God is good and God is taking all of this on a journey and the destination is someplace good. This belief liberates us to in the midst of of pain and grief and trauma, it liberates us to dream and to build or maybe just to put one foot in front of the other because ultimately we're all safe. Ultimately, we have nothing to lose. I'm not trying to minimize the pain that you're going through right now. The, uh, those things hurt and, and they're, they're not fun to say the least. But ultimately, in the end, God wins. We wins. There are legitimate causes for fear and anxiety for sure. Some of, a, some of those causes are invited suffering from foolish choices that we make. Some of the causes for fear and anxiety come from from following Jesus in a culture that's growing more and more hostile to to Christianity. Uh, Some of it's uninvited suffering that causes fear and anxiety in us, whether it's tragedies that happen, trauma. But even in the midst of all that, we must not forget the nature and activity of God in all of it. We don't have to be victims of anxiety and fear. Our, our work is to remind ourselves that God is good and to, to release control of our lives and the outcome. You know, there's a, this, this businessman who lost everything and was questioning God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And uh, that man, you've probably guessed by now, is, is the, in the Bible, Job. And he has this conversation with God going, what did I do? What is going on? 
And God basically comes back and says, I'm God. Were you even there when the stars were hung in the sky? Now, my translation of, of, of that conversation is God basically tells Job, if I told you, it would break your brain. <laughs> it's like explaining the internet to an ant. Like God comes to the place of realizing that, that he's not in control and, and comes to a place of watching God prove his goodness as Job is healed and Job is restored. He realizes that, that this is all going somewhere and his work to do is to trust. So what you're going through right now, does it feel like too much? The situations you're facing at work, your finances, does it feel like too much? Maybe you have a desire for children and it's just not happening. Or your marriage is, is it seems like it's an absolute mess. The challenge for us in those situations, for you and me, is through the power of the Holy Spirit to ask that your eyes would be open to see the good and redemptive work that God is doing in the world. Ask God to liberate you from this sense of fatalism. Like, I have no control and things are just going to keep getting worse. Like, that's a, that's a lie that we can believe. God wants to liberate you from that right now. God wants to increase your willingness to take action and participate in your healing and in the healing of others eventually. Like you have a role to play in this. And most of your role in this is to remind yourself of the truth and to turn over control of your life. Thank goodness that you and I don't have to fix all of our problems. There was a, a TV show. I just love giving dated references. I used to watch uh, um, uh, the, the show Touched by an Angel. And there's an episode where two of the angels were talking to each other and kind of like a superior and the angel that was reporting to the other one. And uh, the, the junior angel says, why don't we just tell, why don't we just tell humans what heaven is like? And the, the, the angel that was in charge says, oh, we can't do that. They can't, they, they, they can't even understand because the, the human existence is like someone who's been living in a closet, in a dark closet. And if we explain them to be what heaven was like, it would be like explaining a rainbow to someone who's lived in a closet all of their life. Maybe you feel like you're trapped right now. And your, your, your next step down the ancient path is trusting that God is going to open that door someday, whether it's in this life or the next. And you'll see color You'll see wonder. You'll experience that. And I want to pray for you right now that, that no matter what you're facing, that you've been carrying so long in your heart, like you will begin to experience that freedom right now. Maybe you need to, to, to grieve something to let it go. Maybe you need to have a ceremony. Something bad happened to you or you were betrayed. Maybe you need to write it down and, and um, crumble it up and burn it or throw it in the trash or even... it. To give you an idea, like this week, I just wrote a little timeline of my life and wrote down different traumatic events that happened or painful events, but then had a different color and color-coded, oh, that's where God showed up. And, a, and another color, like, okay, this is a lesson that, that makes sense now with the, the benefit of hindsight. Uh, or, or maybe you just need to, to, to reach out to us and talk through the fear and anxiety that you're facing right now. Uh, but don't keep brooding over it. Don't try to figure it out on your own. 
especially um, when you have the opportunity to, to have someone else carry that burden with you and remind you of the truth that God is good. And at the same time, God is all powerful. God is already at work putting back the pieces of our life. God never, ever wastes a hurt. So let's pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, right now, for all of us gathered here together, we ask that you would open our minds. God, we, 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 we turn over control of our life to you. And we need your help to trust trust that you are good. Will you please reveal that to us right now? And right now, supernaturally, just begin lifting fear and anxiety off of all of us. Help us to see the world through your eyes. And may we experience a refreshing, deep level soul rest as we leave the outcomes to you and as we follow you one step at a time. In Jesus' mighty and powerful and holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Until we are back together again, make sure that you reach out to us at sgbic.com. But until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. May you experience deeper levels of understanding the goodness of God. And may the Lord give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.